to Joy to be able to join this team. I've got to know Matt well and Charlie I've known for many, many years. But man, to join this team at Northwest really is an honor. And uh, you guys have great staff here. And I know that you know that, but I just want to tell you coming in from the outside, seeing their hearts for this community and for you guys, I'm really looking forward to being a part of it. Brian sends you his greetings. He's off with his family, vacationing, wishes that he could be here this morning. But he's thinking about you and praying for this morning's service, and it'll be good to have him back. But I want to just share with you quickly a little bit of history so you know a little bit more about who I am and where I came from. I grew up in the great state of New Jersey. There's no amens to that. Well, what's, what's wrong with you people? No, it's a great place. Yes, thank you. It's a great place to be from, as they say, right? And my wife grew up in New York, so we're both kind of from the Northeast. We met in a Bible college in Pennsylvania at Baptist Bible College, same place that Adam King went. So that's a cool connection. And I went to seminary there as well. And then uh, my first ministry that I was entrusted with was at Colonial Baptist Church, and that was in 2000 to 2005. So I served with Brian there in student ministry and developed a lot of great relationships, and we saw God do a lot of incredible things. And it's neat to reconnect with a lot of those families here, including on staff. You know, I got Adam, of course, that was in high school when I came there, which was neat. And then David Amon, who's on staff here at Northwest, was in high school as well. And Drew Jackson and others that are really involved here that I was able to see in those formative years. So it's really cool to come back all these years later and to see these guys all grown up and married and serving God. So it's just a dream in many, many ways to be able to be working with them. So then in 2005, God moved us up to just north of Detroit, Michigan. Okay, so I'm rough. I've got people in Detroit. Okay, does that mean anything to anybody here? No, really, we, uh, we loved it up there. We were about a half an hour north of the city, Woodside Bible Church, an incredible place that God is using to really uh, bring the light of the gospel to so many areas around there. So I served in student ministry for many, many years up there and was also part of the teaching team, as Charlie said. And uh, yeah, we just saw some great things there. And God continues to astound and amaze us with opportunities in his direction because we are thrilled to come back down here to North Carolina and being part of this endeavor, be a part of this pioneering church. And uh, we're coming back to God's country. Amen, North Carolina? Yeah, amen. No, it's a trick question. It's all God's country. He is sovereign over the whole United States and but smiled especially when he was making this part. No, I'll just stop before I get myself in trouble. But man, we are thrilled to be down here. We did purchase a house. We're not in it yet, but we're going to be living right off of Olive Chapel Road and Apex Peakway in the Dogwood Ridge uh, subdivision. So we're excited about that. Not too far away. It seems like a great place. And we're excited to get to know our neighbors there. And uh, we kind of been living out of suitcases literally for the last six weeks my last uh, Sunday at my previous ministry, the big send-off and everything was June 22nd or thereabouts. So then I've had six weeks of homeless, unemployed vacation. And it's been fantastic. I am not complaining. We planned it that way. We really wanted to take some time to honestly let God kind of pour over us with all the memories and all the goodness of everything that happened there. And at the same time, a Sabbath, a rest that is preparing us for this next season. So it's been really amazing. Last week we spent in Colorado visiting a very good friend of mine and his wife. And I took my son, who's 10, fly fishing for the very first time in like a real trout stream. And 
Joker man pulled in a three pound rainbow trout, like this big. And I caught like a little guppy, you know? So, but that's the way it should be, man. I want his, his joy to be uh, in that. And that was awesome. So we're just honestly and sincerely overflowing with gratitude to God, to this church for this opportunity to come and serve and be a part of this team. And it's gonna be exciting to see the journey that God has us on together, amen? Our stories are now intertwined. This is like a marriage, this is like in-laws, right? So now I'm part of your family, you're part of my family. So all the crazy uncles that are here as part of this, I get to inherit as my own. Yeah, some of you are like, no, that's true. There, there are some. No, but we're excited about the body of Christ and it's going to be neat. Let me ask you a question. You ever have an impression that forms an opinion that leads you to a decision that ends up in destruction? Did you capture that? An impression that forms an opinion that leads you to a decision that ends in destruction. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about here this morning from Proverbs chapter 12. So if you want to turn there in your copies of scripture, if you have one, if not, we've got them on the screen. Proverbs chapter 12. I want to share with you a brief story about an impression that I had. And I got to paint this picture for you as we begin. It's a little grim, but just hang with me. So we were at our home and it was my wife and I was about 1130 at night or so. And we're just turning off all the lights, getting ready for bed. Kids are already asleep. So I'm downstairs and... I was wearing gym shorts, and I was wearing socks, no shirt. Okay, I was getting ready for bed. I know it's an ugly picture to think about, and I'm right there with you, but just picture that, or don't really picture that. You'll get distracted and disgusted. Just hang with me. So there, I'm ready to go to bed. So I'm down there, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm leaning over, and I turn off this one light that's right here in front of this big window down there in our house, and I, and I look, and, and, and our neighbor right across a little bit to the right, our, our, our fence kind of separates us, I see a giant inferno coming out of their back door. I mean, it was like, it was like seven feet high. And I'm like, Becca, our neighbor's house is on fire. Call 911. Like, okay. So I go, I go booking it across the living room. I bust out our back door. We got like this deck with kind of this big bench that's about this height. So I mean, this is a fair leap right there. Picture that. So I and my best parkour step up on and like leap over the fence and I do like this little military roll. Okay. And it's, it's starting to rain. It's kind of wet and it's kind of muddy out. So I do this military roll and I'm seeing this fire. So I run across my backyard. I'm doing the Tom Cruise run. <gasps> You know, like as fast as I can, like Mission Impossible. And there's this, uh, you know, we got this little fence here. It's got like maybe about an 18 inch, you know, clearance between my grass and the, and the bottom of the fence. So I do the third base pop-up slide underneath the fence in the, in the grass and in the mud. And I come out the other side and I bust through. They had like these giant cone, you know, like big bushes like that. So I bust through. Now picture this. Let me bring to you again, I am shirtless. I am now muddy and grassy on this side of my being and I'm rocking wet socks. So I go busting through this cone and I go, hey! Only to my shock and horror, ultimately to my relief, I suppose, in the grand scheme. This giant inferno was coming from a fire pit bowl 
that was right outside of their back door. You know, this, this nice couple, hey, let's have a fire. And they had gotten one of those little fake logs, you know, that's kind of light and it kind of lights up for you because you can't do a real fire. One of those kind of things. So they had one of those things rocking. Oh my goodness, it's starting to rain. We better go to sleep, honey. So they take their little poker and they destroy the log. And you know what happens when you kind of poke into that log, it all goes down and it all goes up. That's what the fire was. So now I'm standing here yelling at them like a crazed man, looking like I just came from my Aborigines walkabout, you know, somewhere in Australia. And, and I'm yelling like a mad fool. And I see like the curtain moving, like they must have just gone in and they're getting ready to come out again. So I very quickly like squish, squish, boing, you know, and like very sheepishly crawl back under the thing. And Becca's there, you know, like on the phone. I'm like, there's no fire. Squish, squish, squish. Never told them anything about it to this day. And we don't live there anymore, thankfully. But the point is, am I, am I exaggerating? That is, the, that is the way it went down. But the point is, I had an impression that gave me an opinion that forced me to make a decision that ultimately ended up not the way I wanted it. And that's what we're really going to be talking about this morning from this obscure passage in Proverbs chapter 12. I was so glad when, when Brian told me that, you know, it was just kind of pick your own Proverbs. This is the book that we've been diving into this summer. And I was so glad because this message springs out of a conversation that I had with my brother-in-law. Beck and I both have been privileged to come from very ministry-minded families. My dad's a pastor in New Jersey, been serving there for 38 years at the same church. Becca's dad was a pastor for many years. All three of my brother-in-laws are in full-time ministry as pastors. Four of my brother-in-laws, one on the other side as well with my sister's husband. So we are, when we get together in, in family reunions and vacations, it's great. It's like a conference, you know, because we're like sharing ideas and what are you doing in your church and what's God teaching you and what's working over here for you. And so this, this whole idea, this obscure passage came from a conversation with my brother-in-law, Jason, who's a pastor out in Grand Rapids. We started talking about this concept right here and it's so monumental because it's about the deceit that comes when you see something and you think it's one thing, but really it's something totally different. So check out this passage here, Proverbs chapter 12, and let's start reading in verse 11. Here's what it says. For whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Let's just stop right there. And we're gonna, we've kind of broken up this message into just three main points that we kind of want you to remember and we're gonna kind of unpack them. For the first one is this, you need to realize that your focus is going to determine your satisfaction in life. Whatever you're focused on, that is going to determine your satisfaction in life. And even though this was written 3,000 years ago, the issues that were going on then and the issues going on now are exactly the same. What you're focused on is going to determine your satisfaction. So with that in mind, let's look at it again. The author says, whoever works his land. If your focus is on what you've got right here, this is my land, this is my lot that God's given me, this is my opportunity, this is my life right now, let's focus on this. He will have plenty of bread. 
Now we need to recognize here this morning that bread 3,000 years ago versus bread for us is a whole lot different. Bread for us now is a, a, a given. You know, it's kind of a luxury. You go to a restaurant, oh, they've got bread here. Oh, can we have more bread? Endless bread. We love bread. We love Panera bread. We love the smell of Panera bread. We go through just to smell Panera bread. We love bread, right? For us, it's like a luxury and there's all different kinds and it's fantastic and we toast it and everything and put butter and cream cheese and bread. But way back when, bread was representative of fulfillment and feasting and sustenance and satisfaction. Right, you remember even Jesus said in the New Testament, he said, I am the bread of life. I am enough for you. I represent fulfillment, satisfaction. So the point behind this first A part of this passage is you work your own land, you're gonna be satisfied. And even that word by itself needs a little bit more explanation because in our American culture, when we think of satisfactory, that's really not like something all that great, right? One thing I was reminded of yesterday as we you know, went out to eat at a restaurant down here in this area, they put these scorecards on all the restaurants, right? Like with percentages, almost like you're in school again. Like up uh, 92%, 81%, 98%, you know, grading restaurants, which I guess is a really good thing, right? But the point is like, if a grade is just satisfactory, that's probably not some place that you wanna be throwing down for a big meal, right? Back the way they used to be grading when I was in, in uh, elementary school is like excellent, very good, satisfactory, not satisfactory. Anybody have that grading system or was that just a weird, okay, a few of you guys in here. But satisfactory is kind of like, eh, I'm satisfied, it's okay. That's not the meaning of this. Satisfied in this context means more like I am completely content Picture a Thursday afternoon in late November after you've had a massive Thanksgiving meal and you're looking around at your family and you've taken time to thank God for all the goodness in your life. You've been dwelling on that and you've been having great food and you're sitting down and you're like halfway falling asleep while the football game's on. Are you with me? That is contentedness, right? Like, oh, life is good. I am full my heart is full, my belly is full, this is beautiful. That's what we're talking about here. Somebody who focuses on working their own land will be content in the deepest meaning of the word. So your focus is going to determine your satisfaction. If you're focused on what's given you, you're going to be satisfied. Second half of the verse, look at this. But he who follows worthless pursuits, the NIV says, he who chases fantasies lacks sense or will be in want or will be lacking satisfaction or will never be content. So if you're focused on what you don't have, you're never gonna be satisfied. It's an amazing concept that is really brought home in this passage. In America, do you think by and large people are satisfied, content? The way America 
roles is that you never have enough, right? That's what advertisers are constantly trying to convince us of. You didn't even know what you don't have until you saw that commercial. Oh yeah, I want that. Chasing fantasies. Picturing something that you think you want, you think you want to go for, but you can't quite get there. Or when you finally try to get that, it doesn't quite work out. Anybody here ever hear of PinterestFail.com? Anybody here on Pinterest, by the way? Any men on Pinterest? Right on, man. I got a Pinterest account. I'm not ashamed. There's good ideas on there, man. But anyway, some of you are like, uh, get this guy out of here. But there's this whole website and many more like it that are people that see something and they try it and it doesn't quite work out. They're chasing after this and it kind of fell a little bit short. I got a couple quick examples for you right here. Check these out. So that's adorable, isn't it? Come on, it's October. You know, you're getting ready for the Christmas card. This would be so wonderful. Let's try it. Oh, and by the way, let's get like all the neighboring kids and everything. Check out every single one of those is absolutely hating life. And that, that blanket right there was completely ruined. And this one right here is my favorite. Look at her. She's like, Dad, are you serious? Dad, really? Really, Dad? Okay, try, try this next one. So that's, so that's cute. Although the more you look at it, the more disturbing it's going to be. Like, those are live wires. Get them out of that baby's mouth. But it's nice, soft lighting, it's beautiful. Hey, let's try that, honey. Oh, okay. It's a little bit more like it. Yeah, and the really bad thing is, you know those kind of bulbs? You plug those bad boys in, you're going to have burns all over you, you know? I love it. All right, this next one, this is, this is quality. Like, that just, isn't that just the definition of serenity and just like childhood peace? Hey, honey, let's try that one. Yeah, I don't think so. And I love, and I love, look at that little baby. He is like holding on for dear life, like halfway straddling, like, oh, oh, it's a beautiful thing. But the point is, the picture is not always a reality, right? The picture is not always a reality. Second thing I want you to write down is we need to recognize, check out this phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. We need to recognize that comparison is the thief of joy. And even though they didn't have the internet when this was written, here's the correlation that I really want to make. Because I believe the author's intent is exactly this. Work on your own land. Look at what you have. Don't go chasing fantasies in what you think you want or what other people have. Don't compare because you won't be satisfied. The internet and social media in particular has completely permeated our society. You know how many people have Facebook accounts? Remember when the movie came out many years ago that was like, how could 500 people be wrong or something like that? Yeah, you know what it's up to now? 1.2 billion people have a Facebook account. That's roughly one in seven people on the planet. You're like, well, that's not that big of a deal. I mean, you know, one in seven, that's not very much. Yeah, we live in America, you know, where we've got this technology. Think about the world. Think about India, think about China, think about these massive nations, many of which are impoverished, that have over a billion people in them. 
1.2 billion people have Facebook and they're scrolling and they're looking and they're envying. And of course, the average age of Facebook now is skyrocketed because all these guys right here are like, Facebook is so like five years ago. How about like Instagram? You got Instagram, you got Twitter, you got everything else. That all of all of them skyrocketing in popularity and what it's created in our culture as a people that should be looking at our land and enjoying what we have. It's created a culture that says, I don't have enough. And I wish I was like that guy. Or man, I wish I had the life of that person over there. And the enemy is coming in, even in the church culture. If you belong to Jesus this morning, even if you don't, he's still tempting you to say you do not have the life that you deserve. And so we chase after this fantasy of what we think we want, this mirage. And that plays itself out in a couple of different ways. One is the images that we see cause us to envy other people. Ever see that before? You're scrolling down and wow, they took a 15K run. I'm such a lazy fool. <laughs> you know, or like, yay, date night with my husband, the greatest husband in the world. You know, or oh, what an amazing time with my kids, you know, picking strawberries. And you're like, I'm such a bad mom. No, get in there and watch that movie again, please. Stay out of here. <laughs> you know, stay upstairs. I'm trying to watch 24. Do not come down here again. You know? Oh, just loved my 45-minute devotional time with my kids. They've got such a heart for God. You're like, my kids are heathens. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we're looking at all this stuff and we're chasing after that fantasy and looking at the image that other people portray and the other half of it is, is equally as intense, you know? The images sometimes that we portray are what we want others to see. You've been guilty of that one? Chasing the fantasy of what you want your life to be. And that's the picture that you want to paint for anybody that has a feed that your information is showing up in. So it's like you spend a day with your kids and it is an absolute nightmare. Right? You're going to the zoo and it's hot and, you know, Junior filled his pants and, you know, so-and-so threw their popcorn into the gorilla and it was just a nightmare and they're complaining the whole time and, you know, it's just, it's absolutely awful. And then you get in, you're like, love looking at God's creation with my kids today. Hashtag family life. Hashtag Genesis. Hashtag God is good. You know? And it's like you want to portray a picture, and I've seen this played out so many times, man. I love students, and I'm still going to have my hand in student ministry, hanging out with Adam and hanging with you guys. And, and I've seen it a hundred times, you know. We've got a bunch of kids over to our house, and there's somebody just sitting way off in the corner, not talking to anybody, just having uh, the worst time possible, and uh, we'll never see them again. But then later on, and I, oh, amazing wild night at Jerry and Becca's house, you know, hashtag friendship, hashtag life is good, and like, <laughs> you know, it's like, were you at the same thing that I was at? But it's just this mirage and this evil and this envy that says, I want to be seen as this. I want to live this life instead of focusing on our own land. Look at, verse, look at verse 12. It says, whoever is wicked covets 
the spoil of evildoers, coveting, envying, looking at what somebody else has and wishing that you had it. Same problem 3,000 years ago as we have right now. The problem is, of course, is that the shameful thing that we're doing is we're comparing our outtakes and our B-rolls to somebody else's highlight reel. And what you don't realize with that couple that's all lovey-dovey in that picture is that they haven't had a romantic night in months and that their marriage is on the brink of almost divorce. You know, I, I know because I've, I've counseled some and then I see their Facebook post later that night and I'm like, that's not really the picture. It's not the picture of reality. Chasing after fantasies. The neat thing is that none of this is new, right? This one-upping, this envy, this comparison. Even think about Jesus and the disciples. Remember that sobering passage where he's literally on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to be crucified. Right, right about to be the final week of his life and they're traveling and they get to the place and Jesus says, what were you guys arguing about on the road? You remember that? And they didn't want to say anything. Why? Because they were arguing about who was the greatest. And the only difference between them and us is that at least they were a little bit more transparent with it. At least they were actually having a conversation about it. You know, Peter's saying, well, no, actually, I'm greater than you are, John, you know, because, because Jesus always, you know, he always comes to me first and, 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 and we're both greater than all the rest of those guys because they didn't go with him to this particular scene where he, remember when he healed that person? So that's why we're great. Are we, can we form an alliance? All right, is this gonna, okay, we're in alliance now. Okay, good. Yeah, so we're not gonna get kicked out together. Okay, this is good. You know, at least they're having a conversation about who's the greatest. But ours is a lot more insidious. Ours is a lot more in our mind or comments that we drop to other people, but it's all comparison and it's all something the enemy is having a heyday with. The third evil is that a lot of these types of chasing fantasies and what we, what we see on these devices and the worlds that we create and the worlds that we're distracted by take us away from the actual moments in our own field that we should be enjoying. I saw this short little documentary. It's literally only about two minutes long, but when I watched it, it was just so sobering. It's about a husband and wife and a group of friends, and you'll see what happens. And what I love about this little short film here is that there's no commentary whatsoever. It just lets the scene play out what's going on, missing the moment. It's kind of like I say to Becca, there's no one I'd rather lie in bed next to and Look at my phone with, they knew. <laughs> you know? But man, how often do we get distracted and get turned away from God's best by something that is out there? Last thing I want us just to close up with is what are, what are our solutions, man? All right, so we've thrown down this. Yep, guilty as charged. I got you. Yep, I'm there with you. What do we do now? third thing I want you to think about is uh, that what we need to do is we need to pray for the ability to be content with each moment. Pray for the ability to be content with each moment. Well, what do you mean the ability? 
Well, check out this passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, written by the same exact author of Proverbs chapter 12. Here's what he says. This is God's blessing. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them. So he's given us wealth. He's given us possessions. He's given us a life. But it also says he has given the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his work. This is a gift of God. It doesn't come naturally, amen? It's so much easier to look at what somebody else has. Why, why can't my kids just behave like that? Why can't my wife look like that? Why can't my husband have a job that's like that? Ecclesiastes is saying, hey, it's a gift from God. If you've got the ability, I will give you the power to enjoy your lot, to enjoy what you have and what I've given you. I will bestow that upon you if you're willing to receive it. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And that's the kind of people we want to be. So occupied with what God's given us right here, right now in our land that we've got no interest in chasing after all these other fantasies, all these other lives that are just a giant mirage anyway. So what is your land look like for you. For some of you here, maybe it's your work. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in some sort of dead-end job and you just can't stand your boss and you just, your coworkers and the team that you're on is just so splintered and you're just, I wish I had something else. Maybe God's got you there for a reason. I know God's got you there for a reason. Maybe you're dissatisfied with your house and this, this old barn, the heat doesn't work and the water just went out and man, I wish we could just get a nicer house across town. Whatever it is that's, that's your land, man, I'm, I'm hoping that God is, is just speaking truth onto you this morning. That says, that is what I've given you and I desire to give you the ability to enjoy it and to be content and to be satisfied. The Apostle Paul echoed this sentiment here in Philippians chapter four, verse 12. Um, verse 11, Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, fa of facing plenty and facing hunger and abundance and in need. And the secret is this, verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That was Paul's solution. He said, I know what it's like to have a whole lot and I know what it's like to have nothing. But I have learned to be content. I've learned to work in my own field. And the solution, verse 13, is that I can do all things through Christ. Amen.